All right, good morning, everybody. If you got your Bible uh, and you want to follow along this morning, you can open to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17. And the title of our lesson is El Shaddai. El Shaddai. I was thinking this week, um, I was traveling and I was out of town and just working in my hotel room, and I was thinking about a temptation that, that teachers and preachers have. I don't know if, if any of you here have taught a, a, a class, and you teach it week after week after week, month after month after month, year after year after year. There's a temptation as a teacher that you always, the temptation is to say something new. Does that make sense? You know, you, you, you want to come in and bring something new. You want to bring something unique. You want to bring something uh, innovative. And, and, and it's just a real, almost a compulsion to, to do that. But the fact is that Scripture teaches us that that actually comes from the flesh, not the spirit. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a place in Acts where Paul travels to Athens. And he's there, and it says this, Acts 17, 19-21. And they took him, talking about Paul, and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. And it goes on to say, Now all the Athenians and all the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. You see, when it comes to the world, when it comes to philosophy, when it comes to human knowledge, we're always looking for something new. We're always looking for the next big thing, the next, the next topic that's trending or, or whatever the case may be. But when you turn to the Bible, you find that the apostles, on the other hand, are not so much about teaching something new. It's about reminding you of what you've already been taught. Paul in, in writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.14, and he says, remind them of these things. In other words, you've already told them, tell them again. Tell them again. Tell them again. Uh, in 2 Peter 1.13, Peter writes this, I think it is right as long as I am in this body. So Paul says, Peter says, I think this is the right thing to do, that as long as I'm alive, to stir you up by way of what? Reminder. <clears throat> it's not about the new stuff. It's reminding you of things you've already been told. And, and I just picked two of them. This is all throughout, all throughout the, the New Testament. Reminding, reminding, re- reminding. Now, and here's the reason. See, novelty is entertaining, but not edifying. See, novelty, when somebody comes up with something new, it's entertaining, right? But it may not necessarily be edifying. But when you teach the great truths of Scripture over and over and over again, it may not be that entertaining, but I guarantee you it's edifying. Okay, and that's what Scripture is all about. Now, I bring that up because, there, to be honest with you, there's not much in Genesis 17 that's new. There, this is a story that we've probably read <clears throat> hundreds of times uh, over our lifetimes. If you've been in church for a long time, there's really nothing here that's going to be really new to us. But we do need to keep in mind that it was new to Abraham. Right? He, he, this was something brand new to him. To us, it's ancient history but but to him it's not and it was something that he had to learn over years and little by little and we're going to see that today now i want to start out if we can this morning with a real quick <clears throat> recap you'll remember that Ab- uh, abram left haran 
after his father died. He left there when he was 75 years old, and he traveled down into Canaan with his nephew Lot. After he and Lot separated, you remember we studied all that, God made a covenant with with Abram. He told him, he said, I'm going to give you an heir, I'm going to give you a son, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Um, And he said, this heir is going to come from your own body. Okay, that was in, in Genesis 15. Now, 10 years later, 10 years go by and nothing has happened. Okay, no, he's not had any children. There, there's not been an heir or a son. So at age 85, Abram kind of takes it on himself to make this thing happen. And, and following the, the advice of his wife, Sarah, he goes in to her servant, Hagar. He sleeps with her and they produce a son by the name of, of Ishmael. And that happens uh, 80, when, when Abraham is 86 years old or 11 years after he left Haran. Now, as we come to chapter 17, 13 years more have gone by. 13 years later. Abram is now 99 years old. Sarai, his wife, is now 89 years old. And by the way, between chapter 16 and 17, as far as we know, during that 13 years, God never speaks to him. Never says a word to him. Thirteen years of silence. He's, he's living, he's going about his, you know, he's, he's taking care of his flocks, he's managing his household, he's, he's dealing with the family, he's doing all this thirteen years, year after year after year. And as far as we know, there is no record at all that God ever said a word to him. Thirteen years go by. He is now 99 years old. His wife is 89 years old. And as we come to chapter 17, again, as far as we know, it's God's words here in chapter 17 break the silence of those 13 years. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. It says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am God Almighty. And and the term there in the Hebrew is El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and I may multiply you greatly. Now, Let's stop there for just a second. We've said many times over the last several months that the Old Testament, and, and Genesis is a, is a very particular example of this, is an example of progressive revelation. Remember, I've said that over and over and over again. In other words, God progressively reveals Himself and He progressively reveals His plan of salvation or redemption as you go through time. He doesn't just download everything on Abram right at the very beginning. He doesn't just download everything on Noah. He doesn't just download everything on Adam. He reveals a little bit of Himself and a little bit of His plan as time goes by. That's what we mean by progressive revelation. And this is exactly what we see here in this chapter. In fact, in times past, God has been said, He said, He spoke to Abram. We saw that in Genesis 12. In Genesis 15, it says He came to him in a vision. But it never has said before that He appears to Abram. It's never said that before. So here, after 24 years in the land of Canaan, it, it, it finally says that God reveals Himself and appears to Abram. Now, how He did that, we have no clue. The Bible doesn't come out and say how he, how he revealed Himself. But what it does say, and what is, what is really more important than the, than the visual, is what, how He reveals more of Himself in His character. Okay? And He does that with one statement. He says, I am El Shaddai. Now, 
Let's jump ahead to while we're on the subject of, of progressive revelation. Let me jump ahead to Exodus. Several hundred years later, God is talking to Moses. In Exodus 6, 2-3, God says this, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, and the Hebrew there is Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Everybody see what we're talking about, progressive revelation? See, he comes to Abram and he says, I am El Shaddai. And by the way, he's never said that to anybody before. He's never revealed that, 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 that name of himself to anybody before. But it'll be several hundred years later before he comes to Moses and says, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, I am that I am. So, so again, we, we talk about this all the time in the Old Testament. God, you know, if we were, the, the, the adage that I always use is this, if you were wanted to take a child and teach him calculus, you don't just throw him into a calculus class, do you? You start with number lines, and then you go to addition and subtraction, and, and then you go to multiplication and division, and then you go to, to maybe algebra, and then you get to trigonometry, and finally you get to calculus. That's exactly what God is doing. You just don't download everything on these people at one time. It it comes over time through progressive revelation. So here we are. God appears to Abraham, and he says, I am El Shaddai. And again, this is the very first time in the Bible that God reveals himself, or God is called by that name. And it it is a designation which emphasizes his power. In other words, we translate it in the English as God Almighty. And when we say Almighty, it implies that He has all the might. He has all the power to do anything that He needs to do or that He wants to do. It, it's something that we, were, we, we talk sometime about God being omniscient. He's all-knowing. And we talk about he being, Him being omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And that's exactly what it is saying here. He's saying, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. I am a God of power. All power. I can do anything I want, anytime I want, with anybody that I want. Now, there are three things that this name, El Shaddai, uh, implies about God. I'll give you a few scriptures here. Number one, one of the things this means is he cannot be stopped from accomplishing his purposes. Daniel 4.35 says this, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. In other words, none can stop him. And, or even say to him, what, what, why did you do that? Or what have you done? See, God has certain purposes and certain things he wants to accomplish, and, and he just, he's just going to do it because he's El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. The second thing it, it implies is not only can he do it, he, it implies he does whatever he pleases. One of my favorite scriptures, Psalms 115.3, our God is in the heavens, he does whatever he pleases. See, ultimately the only thing that determines what God will accomplish and, and what he won't accomplish is his will. Is it his will? That, I mean, nothing can stop him. And that's, by the way, that's what it means to be El Shaddai. And the third thing is, his power is superior to any other. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 says this, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand 
and I will accomplish all my purpose. Now, so God comes to, and this is the interesting piece to me right here about this lesson. God comes to Abraham and he says, I am El Shaddai. Okay, I am the Almighty. I am the all-powerful God, which implies I can do anything I want to do, anytime I want to do it, however I want to do it. Nothing can stop me. Nothing can stand in my way. There is nobody like me. Now, here's the question, and that is this, why? Why did God choose this moment in time after he had been in the land 25 years? Why did he choose this point in time to come to him and say, I am the Almighty God. I am El Shaddai. Could, could it be, for example, that he wanted to, Abram to know that, that he is a place of refuge? For example, Psalms 91, 1 through 2 says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, who abides in the shadow of the Almighty, there's that word, Shaddai, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Is, is, did he come to him and say, I'm El Shaddai because he wanted Abraham to know I am a place of refuge? Well, that's true, but that's not why he did it. You see, the reason he did it at this point in time is because he wanted to instill confidence in Abraham that God is a promise keeper. See, he's about to promise some, Abraham something that seems ridiculous. Everybody with me? He's about to tell him something that just sounds outright ridiculous. And before he promises, he says, I am El Shaddai. I am the Almighty God. I can do anything. Nothing can stop me. If I want to do it, I just do it. See, it's the whole point here is not about refuge or being a fortress or anything. It's about being a promise keeper. Now, I, I can do anything I, I want to do. In fact, let's look at the promise, verses 3 through 8. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, which is exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, which is father of a multitude. For, and I love this statement, For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Notice that is past tense. I've already done it. Not, I will make you father of many nations. I've already done it. It's already been done. I'm El Shaddai. Do what I want to do. I've already decided. It's already happened. It's already going to, it's already going to come to pass because it's been done. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. By the way, I, I always bring this up. Is that statement true? Did God do it? Absolutely He did. Go to Israel today. Who's living there? The people of Abraham. Who is their God? It's still Yahweh. It's still El Shaddai. Right? I mean, we've got living proof of this today. We can read it in the newspapers. We can watch it on TV. We can, we can read about it. The living proof is right there of this promise and this covenant right in front of us. Now, what is the application here for us? Sometimes, and, and, and you, you tell me if this is true for you, sometimes I think it's easier for us to believe in God's power on a big scale. See, to be honest with you, it's really easy for me to believe that God created the heavens and the earth. 
It's really easy for me to believe that he upholds all this by the power of his word. It's really easy for me to believe those things, to be quite honest with you. In fact, it's easier sometimes to believe the big things than it is to believe those little simple promises that we find in his word. Does that make sense? It's, it's easier to believe the, 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 the huge things than it is just the little promises in his, in his Word. You see, it's not hard for me to believe in creation. It's not hard for me to believe in the virgin birth. It's not even hard for me to believe in the resurrection. But yet, when I open God's Word, for example, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and I read this, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you're tempted, He will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Sometimes when you're going through something and you read that, it's easier to believe in the resurrection of the virgin birth than to believe that God's got going to give me the strength to go through this. Make sense? It's just easier to believe the big than the things... That, because the big doesn't so much apply to you. But when you get down to the nitty-gritty little promises, the every little detail that applies to you when you're going through temptation and testing and trials, that sometimes makes it hard to grab a hold of. Let's say you, you've got a, a, a child that's, that's perpetually difficult, right? Let's say that, that you've got some kind of life-altering illness that you're going through. Let's say you're stuck in a marriage that, that, that didn't turn out the way you thought it was going to be. You see, those little promises that tell you what to do and how to handle it, those become very difficult to believe, to, to sustain you. The big things are easy. The little things, not so much. And what happens when, we ha- when we're going through things and we, we turn to those little promises, if we have trouble believing them, what we'll do is we'll turn to ourselves. We'll, we'll turn to ourselves to look for a way out, or, or we've talked about this before, right? What we should be to- doing is turning to El Shaddai. And that's exactly, by the way, what he's telling Abraham. I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. I'm fixing to, give you, I'm fixing to promise you something, Abraham, that's going to seem completely ridiculous, and it's going to deal with the very everyday fact of your life, and you're going to have trouble believing it. But don't. Turn to, look, I am El Shaddai. I can do anything. And that's what this is all about. Now, let's turn to the sign of the covenant. Look at verses 9 through 14. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generation. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether they're born in your house or they're bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my my covenant be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always been curious about this. Why, Why did he have to choose that? Right? I mean, have you ever thought about it? Have you ever asked yourself that question? For example, couldn't it have been a tattoo? Couldn't it have been a piercing? You, you, you get your ear pierced or... or I mean, sure, right? I, I mean, why circumcision? Why did God have to choose that 
particular thing as the sign of the covenant. In fact, he could have done something else. Like I said, he could have done it. You're going to get a tattoo on your... Uh, where, I mean, he could have come up with something as a sign of the covenant, but he didn't. He came up with this thing, right? And the question is, well, why did he do it? Now, to be honest with you, I'm not sure I can answer that because he never really comes out with any details and he says, and saying, this is why I'm, I'm doing this particular thing. But there are some things that we can speculate on. Okay, and I'm not real big on speculating, but there are a, a few things that we can do that. For example, Abraham had acquired a son by his flesh, right? Now he has to turn around and submit that flesh to God. You did it your way, now you're going to do it my way. See, in, in, in essence, he's yielding his procreative powers to God. He's submitting them to God. He's trusting them to God to fulfill his promises. So the very, the very thing that he used to produce an heir through the flesh now has to be turned around and to submit it to God. That could, be, that could be one reason. As a Jewish boy, circumcision was a sign that... You see, we live 4,000 years later. Okay, and you gotta, again, we have to go back and put ourselves in their shoes. Today, we, we circumcise, some people circumcise, some people don't, but it's, it's not, it's, it's kind of up to you. It's not a sign of the covenant. Doesn't matter if you do it or don't do it. It's not a sign of the covenant, anything like that. But then, it was a sign of the covenant. It, you had to do it. And, and it was something that set those boys, those Jewish boys, that made them different from other boys. In fact, no, no Israelite could ever engage in sexual relations without realizing, man, I'm, I'm different than anybody else around here. It's, it's a complete reminder that he belonged to God. Notice it was something that only the male could do. See, if he had done a piercing, if he had done a tattoo or something like that, then everybody could have done it. But he chose something that only a male could. Could do, and that very well could have signified or had significance in the special responsibility that that God had given men, not only in their families, but as a spiritual head of their 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 families as well. That could be another reason. Unlike a tattoo or a piercing, there is a spiritual symbology that comes along with circumcision of the putting away of the flesh. When you get to the New Testament, it'll refer back to that over and over again putting away of the flesh, putting away of the flesh, putting away of the flesh. So there's a, spirit, a, a spiritual symbology there that carries through. Whereas a tattoo or a piercing, and here's another thing. Back then, people got tattoos. Okay, As you get to the law a few hundred years later, Moses is saying, don't do those things, right? There's piercings, there's tattoos. Those were a part of, of cultures. This had never been done before. This is something completely new. I, I, I would almost, I, I guess maybe Abraham knew what it was. I don't know. But no other cultures were doing it. In fact, who would do that? Who would, who would just say, hey, yes, I got an idea. I got a really idea. Let me throw it out here and see what you guys think about this, right? Let's just circumcise all our baby boys. And they'd look at him like, are you insane? Right? So, so, so here's this thing that God comes along and says, you're going to do this unlike anybody else around you. There is not another tribe, another culture, another people that's doing anything like this. Okay? Listen, I'm sure in that day and time they would have been ridiculed for that. Okay? 
See, to other cultures, they looked at that and said, that's, that is absolutely ridiculous. Why would you do that? That's, that's insane. Why don't you just get a tattoo? Why don't you just pierce your ears or something? But don't, don't do that. That's in, and in fact, I would even suspect they probably were embarrassed at times about it. You see, it was something so different that it... And here's the key, I really think. It's something so different that it set them apart. It's something so different that other people wouldn't... You know, if they had got a tattoo... Another culture would say, you know, I really like that tattoo. I think I'll get one. Nobody's going to say, you know, that really seems like a good idea. Who's going to do that? So he chooses something that nobody's going to want to copy. Nobody's going to want to emulate that. And it's so odd that it completely sets him apart from everybody around them. Now, in the end... We're not told in the Bible why God chose to do that. Again, we can, can come up with some reasons. But I can tell you this. Whatever God's reason for, I can tell you this for sure. Obedience to that command would not have been easy. Obedience to that command could not have been easy. Abraham was, Abraham was 99 years old. That couldn't have been easy. Ishmael was 13. The other men of the household. That could not have been easy. When Abraham walks in... Holds a, holds a family meeting, right? Everybody gets in and he says, Hey, I got something I need to tell y'all. Um, this is, we're going to have to do this. I'm sure they were like, Are you, that's, you know, that's, I don't know what they thought, right? But here's the point. Obedience could not have been easy. I think we all would agree to that. What's the application for you and I? Listen, obedience today is still difficult. We are called to do and act and perform and be people in a, in a peculiar way. The Bible calls us a peculiar people because we're going to obey things and, and, and walk in a certain way that people around us are going to look and say, that's ridiculous. Why would you do that? Are you with me? We are called to walk worthy. And, and obedience to that calling means that we're going to be acting in a way and doing things in a way that our culture thinks is ridiculous. That our, that, that almost, it's almost embarrassing sometimes that we have to walk and do these things when the culture center, that's so old fashioned. That's so yesterday. No, it's God's way. It's what it is. See, obedience is never easy because there's something innately in us that we want to be like everybody else. We want to be like the culture. We don't want to set ourselves out in front of everybody. We don't want to be different and, ha- and be, be, be the, the focus of ridicule or nobody who, who wants to choose that but obedience to God's command calls for that sometimes you're going to obedience to his word if you do it the right way will make you so different so different that people cannot help notice that you are different to the point that you might even be ridiculed but here's the thing our God is El Shaddai Our God is El Shaddai. And when the sovereign God, El Shaddai, God Almighty, calls us to be different, He chooses us to be different, we obey. Okay, Even when it's difficult and even when it may be embarrassing. Now, let's move on. A promise for Sarah. Now, I want you to notice something. Up to this point, God has promised Abram a son. In fact, He's promised it to him a couple times. But I want you to notice he never, up to this point, 
has specifically identified the mother of the child. Right? He's been in Canaan for 25 years. God says, I'm going to give you a son. You're going to be, man, this, you're going to have so many heirs. It's going to be crazy. Look up at the sky. If you can number the stars, that's how many, how many descendants you're going to have. I mean, Abram's got all these promises, but God has never specifically identified the mother of the child. But now he does. Look at verses 15 and 16. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, which means princess, shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, and now God gets very specific, I will give you a son by her. God is getting, now we're getting down. See, before it had been big, right? Been these, I got this big promise for you. You're going to be the father of many nations. Whew! This is good, but now he gets right down to the nitty-gritty, the way you live every day. I'm going to give you a son by her, and I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Now, before we look at Abraham's reaction to what God just said, I want to remind you of something. If you go back to chapter 15, and you don't need to turn there, there's a place in, in 15 where... Abram says, you know, God has said, man, I'm going to give you, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And Abram, Abram said, well, how are you going to do that? You know, all I've got is this servant who's going to be my heir. And God said, no, that, that guy's not going to be your heir. I'm going to give you a, a son. In fact, let's look at that promise. This is in Genesis 15. Remember, we're talking probably 15 years prior. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, and if you're able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And what I want you to see is what Abraham, the response to that promise was this, And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. So God gives him this monster promise. Look up in the heavens. If you can number the stars, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And it says Abraham believed him. And God counted it. It was true belief. It was real belief. It was real trust. And God counted it to him as righteousness. That was about 15 years ago. And so he's been believing this promise and believing this promise and believing this promise. But here in chapter 17, God says, Oh yeah, I'm going to give you a son by her. That 89-year-old wife that you got. And this is Abram's response. Verses, chapter 17, verse 17. Then Abram fell on his face, and he laughed. And he said to himself, now he didn't say this to God, he's got enough sense. By the way, notice he falls on his face. He's still, he's still in a position of humility. And he says to himself, inside himself, he doesn't say it to God, he says it to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old, and shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? In, in other words, when God gets very specific in his heart, he thinks, that's crazy. I can believe the big stuff. I can believe the big promises, but that deep, when you get down in the detail of how God's going to do it in your life, on, you know, say within the next few days or the next few years, when he gets down to the nitty-gritty, he has trouble believing that, doesn't he? Now, there is no doubt to me that in that moment of time, he just has trouble believing the specifics. He believed. In fact, it's already told us that God's going to do what he said he would do. He just has trouble with the really particular details of how God is going to do it. 
And I said it over again. We believe the big things. It's the small things sometimes we, we struggle with. And by the way, before we get too holier than thou, my, my, my suspicions is we would have done the same thing. My suspicion is that we would have done the same thing. You see, in that moment, God's promise is just, it's almost too much to take in one dose, right? In, in fact, notice his response is laughter. Sometimes I think people, when, when, when um, we're caught off guard, sometimes we'll laugh, right? Have you ever noticed someone do that? It's, it's, that's a, that response of his is, is laughter. It's like he's just caught off guard. He just can't believe this thing could actually be done or this thing could actually uh, happen. Now, in addition, here's something else that's going on in his mind. He's already got a son. Ishmael, he's 13 years old. He doesn't really see at this point the necessity of a second child. Uh, In verse 18, Abraham responds to God. Remember, he says inside, how can this even happen? And what he's saying now is, look, why does it even have to happen? I've already got a son. His name's Ishmael. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Use him. We We don't have to go down this other road. Use Ishmael. Now listen, there's no doubt that Abraham loved that boy. There is no doubt that Abraham loved that boy, Ishmael. That was his first son, his firstborn, right? And he understands if another boy is born by Sarah, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be conflict, right? See, in his mind, he's already got a son. Couldn't God choose Ishmael? Couldn't God bless Ishmael rather than, than, than go this other route? But you see, God's plan as El Shaddai is not going to be changed. And he responds in verse 19, And God said, No, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant. For Put yourself for a minute in, in Abraham's shoes. You've got this boy that you love. For 13 years, you've been spending every day with him, teaching him how to hunt, how to plant, how to be a man. This is your boy. You love him. But God says, you're going to have another son, and I'm going to establish my covenant with him, not him. That, that could not have been easy, could it? If he really loved Ishmael, which I believe he did, he wanted Ishmael to be blessed. He wanted the covenant to go through Ishmael. But God says, no, I'm El Shaddai. I do what I want to do. I do what I want to do, and my will, my choice, my plan is to establish my covenant with a son that comes from from Sarah. You see, he has purpose, God has, to give a son to Abraham and Sarah, and it's that child that he's going to establish the covenant with. It's that child that Jesus Christ will come through the lineage of. A substitute is not satisfactory, especially a substitute that was a result of of the flesh. Now, God does remember Ishmael, though. In fact, he tells Abraham, look at verse 20 and 21. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. In other words, I hear your heart, Abraham. I know you love this boy. I know what you're going through. I know you want him to be the son of promise. I know you want him to be blessed. I've heard you. I've heard your heart. So behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful, and I will multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I'm going to establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. In other words, I'm El Shaddai. I'm going to do this thing the way I want to do it. I hear you. 
I see your heart. I know what you want. But at the end of the day, this is the plan, and this is how it's going to happen. Now, this is important. When it all said and done, Abraham, in, in some way, he's got this promise he's having trouble believing. His heart is probably broken in some way that, that Ishmael is not going to be the child of promise. He's dealing with all this, but yet he walks out the door and he obeys. Look at verses 22 to 27. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of the foreskin that very day. That very day, just as God didn't wait a week, didn't, hey, go, go out, you guys go out, meditate on this for a while, <laughs> work up your courage and come back and we'll take care of it. No, he gathered them together, probably got them together in a room, told them what they were going to do and locked all the doors. No running. Nobody's running. You know, I can just see Abraham with the... Brings out a big knife and they're looking to get out of there, right? But no, he, he obeyed that very day just as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house... Those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Let me tell you, I've said it over and over and over and over, and we'll see it one more time. The response of true faith is always obedience. The response of true faith is always, always, always obedience. True faith hears the command and obeys the command. No matter what's going on inside, no matter what our brain may be thinking, we hear the Word of God and we obey the Word of God. I want to conclude with this. We began our study of Abraham back in chapter 12, and we began with three very simple verses. This is 25 years ago in Abraham's life. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get up from your country and your kindred and your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's a very big promise. No mention of a son. No mention of who that son is going is to come through or any of that. Right? It's just a very broad promise. Now here we are in chapter 17, five chapters in the Bible uh, later, 25 years later in, in Abraham's life. And it occurred to me that all of Abraham's life, as he moves, is primarily focused on those three verses. Right? Was that rain? Jeez. Didn't think it was supposed to rain today. Um, if you go back, again, 25 years have gone by, and his whole life... In other words, as time goes by, what God is doing is just giving him additional details of that promise, right? Nothing has changed. God's purpose hasn't changed. His plan, he just gives him a little more detail, a little more detail, a little more detail, and a little more detail. In fact, really it takes Abraham's entire life to really understand what those three verses really meant, right? It, it, they start out very general and then they get specific. I started out today by saying that as a teacher, sometimes we, we have this compulsion or this temptation to always come in with something new. 
But this chapter kind of helps me come to grips with that. See, I believe that God is not so interested, so much interested in giving us some new truth as He is that we grasp the few great truths of Scripture. Let me say that again. I just believe that God is not so much interested in always giving us something new as He is just giving us additional details of things that He's already told us. See, that's what Abraham's whole life was. He had, he had been told at the very beginning, I'm going to make you a great, great nation, right? This whole life was just adding to that, just, just revealing how that was going to happen. You see, the fact is, in this room, we all know these great truths of Scripture. We know about the grace of God. We know about the atonement of God. We know about the redemption of God, right? But the fact is, we are so quick sometimes to learn a new truth and put it in our pocket and try to go find something else. I see people all the time, they're always looking at this teacher and that teacher and this teacher. Got to find something new. Got to find some new little nugget, some new little tidbit, right? But see, in Abraham's life, if you go look at it, God would reveal a truth. Then he'd sit back and wait and he'd test it out. He'd let, he'd let Abraham walk, sometimes through silence. Let, it, let Abraham meditate on that, live that. And then God would come back to that truth again and maybe reveal a little bit more. And then, and then that would... Everybody with me? It, it, he wasn't coming out, here's something new, Abraham. No, it was the same thing over and over and over and over again. But he would reveal it in a deeper way. And see, I'm not sure it should be any different, to be honest with you, for you and I. See, the fact is, none, there's not a person in here that fully fathoms the grace of God. There's not a person in here that fully fathoms the atonement of God, or the love of God, or the power of God, or the mercy of God. I could just go on and on and on. None of us do. We don't, listen, we don't need anything new. We just need to go back and go deeper into those great truths of Scripture. That's why, that's why Paul tells Timothy, remind them of those things. Go back to those things. Go back to them. That's why Peter said, I've decided that the rest of my life on this earth, the best way, thing I can do is remind you of the things you've already known, the things that you've already been told. You see, the more I study the life of Abraham, I see it as this life of growth. He, as, he, as he moved through time, he learned more and more and more about the God who called him, the character of, God, of that God, right? And as he came to a deeper and deeper understanding of who God was and, 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 and all of that, he invariably drew closer to God. In fact, the title of our lesson next week, he, he, he's called the friend of God. God actually comes down and says, hey, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I got that kind of... So you just... He started out just some pagan guy in this city, and now he's talking with God about what God's going to do. So see, as, he, as God reveals to him those great truths, he grows closer and closer to God in intimacy with God. And let me tell you, the same should be true with you and I. If you want to get closer to God, don't be looking for the new thing. Go back to those same great truths about God and who He is. Meditate on those, study those, read those, live those, and you'll find your relationship with God growing more and more intimate. See, you and I cannot have a static relationship with God, not if you're born again. God will not allow that. I mean, he, he is, he, you are His child. He wants to know you. He wants you to know Him. Listen, there's times He'll allow us to fail, just like He allowed Abraham to fail. There's times He may even leave us and be silent like he lived with Abraham. 
But I can tell you, sooner or later, He's going to come back in to our lives and He's going to make Himself known because you're His child. That's what the Christian life is, is, is all about. So next week, as I said, we'll turn to chapter 18. And right now, the working title is A Friend of God, and, and we'll look at that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for chapter 17. What a, what a great chapter. I, to be honest with you, when I went into it, I was thinking, well, you know, there's really nothing new here, but that's okay. I, I found that out this week, Lord. It's okay. It's okay. It don't have to be anything new. It's, the, it's, the, it's that great truth, those great truths that we come back to again and again and again. And as we understand them more and we grow deeper in our knowledge of those great truths, we grow closer in our relationship to you. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that wonderful lesson. We pray for our service today as we always do. If there's anyone that comes in that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, they don't know you as El Shaddai, then I pray this day, God, that you will rock their world and change them. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.